Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Angela Massey, Vice President for Live Storytelling for the Weather Channel and the Weather Group. Angela is a recipient of the DuPont and Peabody Broadcasting Awards and has been nominated for a National Emmy most recently for coverage of Hurricane Harvey. She talks with us about her career and the challenges she faces in live weather reporting. She also gives us some behind-the-scenes insight into the Weather Channel. Angela, you're, you're vice president of live storytelling at the Weather Channel. Uh, that's a, a huge title. What exactly is that? Um, we have multiple shows throughout our live programming day, and I'm responsible for the producers of those shows uh, for their output on the air. So, so from, those producers report to you. Yes. That's what the vice president does as opposed yes. to an actual hands-on Correct. Produ- producer. But the wonderful thing about the Weather Channel is all of our management level folks are still very active and hands-on. If I need to go to the control room during breaking news, I can absolutely throw on a headset and jump in and help them, whether it's you know, handling phoners or uh, monitoring a, an incoming news conference on a, a live feed. I don't mind doing that. Um, it's not required of me anymore, just in the basic job description, but um, we're all very... S- very active still so in the product. You you went to the Weather Channel from CNN, and at CNN, you also did some live producing, correct? Absolutely. I, uh, I spent 11 years at CNN Center in downtown Atlanta. Uh, the first nine and a half, I was associate producer, then a line producer, and worked my way up to an executive producer in various uh, live programs. Back then, all of the daytime and weekend programming came out of Atlanta. Um, And even some of the shows that you thought were in D.C. were actually anchored in D.C., but produced by producers and and writers in in the newsroom in Atlanta. Uh, And so I I did that for many years. And then my last year and a half at Turner, I I went um, downstairs, if you will, literally downstairs to HLN to help them launch some new shows. And some of those were live as well? They were all live. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So what got you into the adrenaline of doing (laughs) live television? I mean, that- You hit the nail on the head. It's the adrenaline (laughs) rush, isn't it? it, it's, It's something unique. Not everybody can do that. Uh, yeah, you know, you find out very quickly who you would want with you um, in an emergency. 
right? There's there's something about producers, and I learned from really many of the best ones, I think, uh, of my generation. Um, you learn quickly who can keep it cool, who's who thinks on their feet, um, who always has a plan B. You know, there are going to be times when, you know, the live shot fails or uh, you get interrupted or there's a story that breaks five minutes before your show starts and it completely upends your rundown. Um, oh, and by the way, you have millions of people watching because it's a national <laughs> show. Right. Uh, and, and you find out who you'd want in that foxhole with you. And I just fed off of it. Now, is this um, professional calm uh, that that you have, is this something that you developed over the years, or is it something that you started with and just honed? Well, I, I think um, I think producers, their brains are probably wired a, a different way from birth, <laughs> but it's certainly something that has developed um, over time. You know, I'll tell you, my mom, I have two younger brothers, and my mom in Ironton, Ohio, she used to have a, a saying, you know, is there blood you know, if there's not blood, then why are you crying? Yeah. <laughs> so, move on. Move on. We got bigger fish to fry. And so that was just kind of an attitude that was um, pervasive in my growing up and, and has served me well. Now, <clears throat> you do that professionally day in and day out, managing all of this live television and have this calm exterior you, you go home to five-year-old twins. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you, so do you take the professional exterior home to you, or do you take no. the home exterior to the profession? Not, I, I probably have multiple personality syndrome now that you point it out to me, Tom. <laughs> My twins are such a blessing. And if, if you would have told me when I was in these halls of the radio TV building – you know, 20 right. years ago that I was going to be at this stage in my career, at this stage in my life and have them, I would not have believed you. I didn't think that motherhood was something that I necessarily wanted to pursue um, because I was just so wrapped up in career and, sure. and ambition. Um, they have been the most rewarding part of my life. Um, and it is, you know, Sure, stress management and and that calm, controlled um, demeanor helps when you're dealing with kids. But um, I'm going to be interested to see how they turn out. And I can't wait till that time when they're grown up and we're friends. Your husband's an engineer. You you are a vice president of live television. both of you incredibly busy careers, and and yet you have these five-year-olds. Do you have that work-life balance down I haven't pat? always. You know, I, I've told a lot of the students and, and some of the faculty that I've been speaking to uh, this week here in Athens that I have better work-life balance now that I'm with the Weather Channel than I ever had previously. Everything happens for a reason. You know, if you're with a, a major media company for any length of time or you spend any amount of years in this business, you're going to go through some ups and downs in your career. And um, I was actually laid off uh, from Turner Broadcasting about two and a half weeks before I gave birth to my twins. Oh, no. Um, and, you know, uh, that's a whole other story. But suffice to say that 17 days after giving birth to those two beauties, I walked into the Weather Channel for coffee with a friend of mine who had also been at Turner years before and um, was able to carve out a, a new home, a new niche. Um, and I go to work now with a sense of purpose and mission that I didn't realize was really missing before. Um, 
I will say that uh, a lot of producers burn out in their 30s. It's just the slog, particularly field producers. You know, that's not for everyone. I was a control room producer. I am a control room producer. It's a much different lifestyle, much different stress level. Right. You know, I don't have to schlep on a plane and travel and take a passport and, and do all these things. I'm not in a hurricane. I'm just overseeing coverage of the hurricane from a safe distance. Um, it's not for everyone. And that kind of changing of channels, if you will, happened for me at just the right time. And, and I wouldn't know that then, but hindsight has, has revealed that to be one of the best things that ever happened to Sometimes me. Sometimes in a career you look back and think, boy, I thought I really wanted that right. job, but it's really good that I didn't right. get it or I don't have it. Sure. And, and it, it, changed, it changed my life. Sure. For, for our, our listeners out there who may not be familiar with media, give, give us a crash course on what a producer does sure. and, and what a field producer would do and the different sure. kinds of producers. Many different kinds. We hear kinds. that term and, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think the average person understands Sure. Um, you know, there are line producers, segment producers, field producers. For me, my my uh, career path has been through the line producer ranks. A line producer is someone who creates the rundown. It's like the, the roadmap, the blueprint, if you will, for what a show will look like. How much time are we devoting to each of these stories? What does it look like on TV? And this is something that's a question I still, uh, you know, ask of every producer I work with every day. Okay, that's a great idea. What does it look like on TV? Um, and I also always tell people, producers, what you leave out of that rundown is as important as what you have in your rundown. You have a filter and you're, uh, you're here because we trust your editorial filter. And so the amount of time that you devote to different stories and how you choose to to frame them in this canvas that we're giving you, which is a live television show, uh, is, is a big responsibility. So that's what the line producer does. Then our field producers are those who travel in the field with a correspondent. Um, we call our on-air people OCMs. That's on-camera meteorologist. Everyone you see on the Weather Channel is uh, uh, an actual degreed scientist. Um, they're not just playing one on TV. And right. uh, they will travel with a field producer and a crew. Sometimes there's audio lighting along with them. Uh, and the field producer is really responsible for being that on-air person's eyes and ears. You know, do we have guests to line up? Do we need new information? Who's making those beat calls when we get to the location? Who's scouting for the safest, best location to tell that story from? Uh, and so that's really the role of a field producer. You get short sleep and long hours um, and you might get the call at two o'clock in the afternoon that we need you in such and such place the next morning for our morning show which they know that's going to be a 3 a.m wake-up call to have the crew up and live ready by six or seven in the morning so uh, again not a life for everyone but it is thrilling and rewarding when you do it we'll be back after this message The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate its students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. 
The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Let's step back a, a, a moment uh, and compare maybe what goes on at CNN compared sure. to, to the weather uh, channel. Uh, at CNN, it seems from an audience perspective that what we get is that we get anchors, uh, uh, on-air personalities, and we get panels of pundits. And it's not just CNN. It's a lot of cable, cable sure. news. Uh we get very little field reporting uh, on cable news shows, still some on network, but mm-hmm. very little on, on on cable. Yet the Weather Channel is almost the reverse of that. Mm-hmm. Whenever there's a disaster, it seems like you rely on field re- reporting. Sure. And the people in the studio are sometimes secondary. Uh, talk about that, that. I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> talk about that disparity. Sure. That, that's been a concerted effort. Um, my boss, who also came from CNN, uh, she had previous history at Fox News and Bloomberg. Nora Zemet is our senior vice president of, of programming. And uh, it is her goal and mission. And so I'm so glad that you are observing that, that when there is a major weather story, when weather is the national news, that we tell it from where the weather is happening and not in the comforts of a studio. Now, there is a role to be played in that studio because obviously weather is very much a map-driven a story. Uh, You want to be able to show people geographically where things are happening or with satellite and radar imagery um, what's coming so they can prepare. Uh, But you have to be in the weather. And we have a business model that we are constantly tinkering with. You have to make choices. We are a company. We're not a public. Uh, we're not a government and it's entity. Ex- it's expensive. To it be is in the a field. very expensive enterprise. There are some things that have happened even since the time I started in the business that have allowed us to shave costs. Um, for instance, now many of our live reports are filed via Live View. Um, we have backpacks that our photographers will wear, and they transmit over cell towers uh, their their video and sound, um, and there is. No delay. Uh, it is as high quality as satellite. We've created right. satellite graveyards in this country, satellite truck graveyards, right. I should right. say, right. Um, because the technology has gotten smaller and it's more mobile. Uh, so we are able to do that. That gives us some some flexibility. But, you know, running a major national news operation is no small task and it's no cheap task. And I think that for years... Um, you know, some of those big cable nets have realized that they could make money, still charge advertisers, and not really go do anything out right, in the field. Right. The pundits and analysis yeah. are a whole lot cheaper than well, sending somebody to Boston or, sure. or, or, or sure. the bureaus, Gulf Coast of Mississippi. Or, right. Or, the, the, the bureaus have shut down uh, or 
they've closed many of them, I should say. Um, you know, so there's more centralized news gathering now. Um, you know, technology, while it's been a wonderful thing uh, for the reason I just mentioned, it's also, you know, it allows you to collect UGC, user-generated content from places uh, without having to go there because people will send you the photos or the videos um, and you don't have to send a crew. And so there, obviously there's still value in the boots on the ground reporting, right. and there are still outlets that do that. I think that's why public broadcasting has experienced this resurgence, really, in the last few years. I, I have friends who I went to OU with who work at NPR, and I'll send them messages all the time when I hear their work. It's like, you guys are who I trust and who I listen to for in-depth because everyone else is just yelling at me, or it's an echo chamber between New York and Washington. Right. And you guys go out and tell stories from middle America like the places I'm from. And and audience expectation is is interesting, as you said. With NPR, there's a, a trust factor. Sure. There's an identity uh, factor that it's sure. not just Washington and New York, but but there's also this this m- massive network of uh, foreign correspondents mm-hmm. that they tap into. Uh, that gives you a sense that they're everywhere. Sure. Uh, and that's the way news used to be. Uh, right. But not so much any, anymore, except in yeah, a few places. Yeah, I think places. there's a, a bit of an echo chamber. Uh, that northeast corridor from D.C. to New York has a lot of smart people who live in it. A lot of them are related to the media industry. Um, no offense to the ones I know and am friendly with, um, but it's just not for me. That's one of the great things about working for CNN during the time I did was that so many of our thought leaders were based in Atlanta. We lived outside of that that echo chamber, and we had homes in suburbia or kids in public schools. You know, we right. we lived uh, the lifestyle that we were reporting on. And, and uh, well, we try to do that with this podcast, too, uh, sort of a voice of the Midwest. We sure. may ask questions a little differently than if you're within the beltway of Washington, D.C. or the metro area uh, of New York. S- speaking of audience now, uh, I would think that at the Weather Channel, your audience is not atypical of how I use the Weather Channel, which is if I hear of something that's going to be major, I tune in and watch the coverage, mm-hmm. uh, not 24-7, but it's my primary go-to source. Sure. So your audience numbers have to go up during any kind of disaster. Sure. On a day-to-day basis, I go online and and mm-hmm. and see on online and get your one-minute uh, updates online, but don't go to the actual sure. uh, television production. Is that normal? It is very normal in cable right now. Um, therein lies the issue, right? We have a lot of brilliant minds in our industry who are trying to figure out what does the future look like because cord cutting is real. People don't want to pay a cable bill anymore. Um, And if the choice is between keeping their weather channel habit or keeping their $100 a month cable bill, you know, we're we're not as important (laughs) or as vital as as we thought we were in many cases. So, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of bright minds who are working on what that looks like in the future. But I will say, um, you know, audiences are tuning in earlier. Audiences are also a lot savvier, um, particularly about 
the science of weather. You know, weather is truly the greatest equalizer, I think, in in news media. Mm-hmm. Everyone is affected by it. It really doesn't care what your party politics are, you know, what your your English or Spanish skills are. Yeah, right. It is just the great equalizer of news media. Um, everyone's impacted by it, and everyone has a story to tell with weather. Uh, and so we are still relevant on those days when there are not major national weather events in play, like a wildfire or a flood, uh, like what we saw in Nebraska the last couple of weeks. Uh, but 75 and sunny is certainly a difficult day for us <laughs> in the Nielsen Diaries. <laughs> right. That we would uh, be lying if we said it wasn't. Well, it, there's also audience reaction. And, and I think that I would be um, – uh, a bit disgruntled if I were at the Weather Channel because if you're reporting something that is about to happen mm-hmm. or may happen or probably will happen, mm-hmm. there's always – you're dealing with nature. You're dealing with weather. There's right. no absolute 100 percent certainty. But then if it doesn't happen, people get angry. And they go, yeah. well, this hysteria of, of right. the, the Weather Channel, and I did all of these things that I didn't have to right. do. On the other side, if something sneaks up and, and hits people with very little advance mm-hmm. notice, then it's the Weather Channel's fault for not you didn't tell us. warning <laughs> us. So right. as, a, as a, a vice president of production or be uh, of all the producers, that's that's got to be a fine line to walk, isn't it? It is. It is. Uh, I think just from the inside looking out, you don't get into this business or you don't last in this business for very long if you don't have thick skin. So our on-camera folks, our behind-the-scenes folks, yeah, we're, we're like a big family and we might talk about it like, oh, man, it really, really you know, stinks that you had that, you know. Twitter hate yeah, <laughs> pointed right, at your head right. uh, last week. But overall, um, you know, our mission is to, A, tell stories and inform and, and save lives. We have many meteorologists on our staff, both on camera and off, who come from different backgrounds, who are truly experts in their field the world over. Um, and what we uh, choose to do, uh, because weather is cyclical, you know every year you're going to have hurricane severe tornado season, season hurricane season, winter season. season. Yeah. Sure. Um, we try to look at the trends. And while we can say with some confidence um, what weather patterns we see taking shape um, in, in many days out from the actual moment of an event, um, we talk about the trends that are building toward this. So, for instance, um, you know, tropical weather is it, – it's not just your imagination. The last couple of hurricane seasons have been bigger and badder. Part of that is because the, the atmosphere is, is loaded you know, when when tropical systems hit that warm weather, uh, warm warm temperatures off the coast of the the southeastern United States, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. And we've um, had warmer temperatures the last several right. years. So, so we point to the facts, and he, here is what we believe could happen. These are the scenarios. We see this system. Uh, you know, there's no jet stream to push it away. Uh, the the temperatures uh, of the the oceans in that area are likely to foster development. You'll hear that phrase um, spoken by our experts. And so we start talking through 
these scenarios. And we try to be very transparent. We're not saying this is what is going to happen. We're saying this is what could happen. We start talking to the emergency managers, the governors, uh, the mayors in those locations. Um, and, and this is just specific to, to a hurricane, um, but this happens in all kinds of weather. You know, we know the conditions are ripe for X, Y, or Z. We don't know the exact pinpoint. Well, we have a, uh, a system that we use developed by our severe weather expert, Dr. Greg Forbes, uh, who we call it the TORCON. It's the Tornado Condition Index. So right. if you live in the plains, you know, we might tell you, hey, the TORCON is seven today. That means conditions are such that we believe there is a 70% chance of a tornado happening in this 50-mile radius around your dot on the map. Um, it doesn't mean that your house is going to get blown away by a tornado, but it means if you're taking the kids and dropping them off at, at baseball practice, just make sure they Be know aware. what to do. Uh, in yeah. the event of a severe system like that. So it's an awareness service, really. You have, I think, another audience confusion is that there are so many different predictors. There's the European model right. and there's this other <laughs> model. And I think the average person out there goes, what? You know, why yeah. isn't there one model? And right. and I get confused. Sure. And uh, I'm not a scientist. I just have to preface that for any of my scientist friends who are listening. <laughs> I'm not the atmospheric studies major. Um, but I will tell you what I have picked up from all of them, and I've learned a tremendous amount about the weather in these last five years I've been there, um, is that certain models uh, are more accurate or trend more heavily on certain types of weather. So there might be one particular model that's better at the forecasting for winter weather or one model that's better at forecasting uh, for tropical weather. And, and when so you say better, they've hit it They're more, more accurate. They have a better, accurate. sure, they have yeah. a better record. Um, but, you know, we have our experts look at the model blends and there's only so much a computer can tell you. Um, there's some, you know, real human thinking required, some critical thinking skills that are still required. And, uh, and there's a depth of knowledge at the Weather Channel, you know, people like Jim Cantori, that's who everyone knows on air, but he is flanked by, you know, meteorologists who have been there just as long as he has who are in the wings. And when they say they've seen something or they say we have we have uh, the feeling that this is what's going to happen because we have seen this before, you, you trust their guts. It's, it's interesting because and I, I'm not being disparaging to your to your anchors, but sure. when I see sort of a nerdy kind of guy who's not your typical TV local weatherman sure. telling me I've never seen anything like this before, mm -hmm. that gets my attention. Yeah. Yeah, sure it does. I mean, it's also the optics of, of what you do. Absolutely. And that's one of my responsibilities as vice president of live storytelling. I work with uh, our management team. We decide, you know, this is a day where we're anticipating the weather to be so severe or uh, we know that the weather in progress is already so severe. This, this will be a lives lost kind of a day. And our tone has to change. We'll change our uh, local on the eights music. We'll change the colors of our graphics on the screen. We go from that, you know, famous blue square with the Weather Channel logo. We'll right. flip it to red. And it's, uh, you know, people may criticize, whatever. It, it's a tone change that sure. we feel is important to impart uh, upon the uh, the audience that, hey, this is this is different. This is not a normal weather day. Um, I think sometimes the breaking news, music and graphics have gotten overused on, on some of the other outlets. And so maybe it doesn't pack quite the same punch that it used to. Yeah, I've, I've 
been uh, uh, numb to breaking (laughs) news. (laughs) Sure. But I think of any newsroom I've ever been in, um, the producers and the on-air communicators are more responsible and feel a greater sense of mission uh, with regard to what their tone is, the the message they're sending to their audience than, than any other place I've ever worked. So we've been talking about uh, events that that mandate live coverage. What about climate change and all of the science behind what might be causing or probably is causing, depending on your point of view, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the events? What do you feel is the obligation of some entity like the Weather Channel? Sure. In, in talking about that or investigating it or... Sure. Or. Well, you know, like I said, we have a team of scientists. We are scientists first, uh, and people like me are the TV producers who help them get their science message out there. That um, would be a great slogan, scientists first. We are. That's great. I'll take that back to our marketing <laughs> there department. There you go. Tom, we'll cut you a check. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, uh, we are scientists first, but I have to say that we're very apolitical and you know people out there who are listening can have their opinions and say oh she's just saying that i don't believe it for a minute i heard you know jim cantori say this or i heard stephanie abrams or mike bettis say that i will tell you it is totally apolitical science does not have a political affiliation and that truly is our mission i talked about looking at the trends in tropical systems it's the same thing with with any other facet of weather and the science of climate it's a it's a slow moving disaster people may disagree about what caused it but it's undeniable that it's happening yeah. we don't shy away from that on the weather channel we know that we'll get some critics when we do talk about it but you know it's one of those things where do you want to fall on the wrong side of history and pretend like it's not happening Um, we can point to scientific studies and records uh, and and again those trends in the environment to see that california wildfires are getting worse droughts are getting uh, more severe lasting longer Uh, tropical storm systems are becoming more and more uh, major rainfall events you know flooding Flooding. is is huge Um, and that's not just a coincidence there's something fueling that last thing i want to talk about it and i'm just curious is demographics uh I would imagine that the viewer of the Weather Channel is trends older. Sure. Um, but I notice online on your uh, one-minute videos uh, that all of the hosts are young, very young. Uh, and uh, I assume that that is purposeful uh, well, for different audiences. So here's a, a little bit of an interesting explanation for that behind okay. the scenes, the business uh, okay. of what we do. So, and this always blows people's minds when I tell them this, and I, I get it, this is very inside baseball. The Weather Channel app that you use on your phone or weather.com that you check on your PC is no longer the same company as the Weather Channel on TV. Um, IBM took those digital properties and platforms a few years ago um, and walked one way and the TV network was sold. Um, we just had our one year anniversary uh, as, a, as a property belonging to Entertainment Studios, um, owned and operated by Byron Allen. 
Okay. And uh, it's been a wonderful first year under his ownership. Uh, and so the Weather Channel on TV is doing different work. Um, no, I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it's just different work than what they're doing on those digital properties. And you'll see more of the Weather Channel TV in other platforms um, as the next months and years go by. Uh, but yes, our audience does trend a little bit older. I will tell you one of the fascinating things that I discovered when I came to the Weather Channel was this almost underground uh, fan club of young people who, you know, maybe their parents grew up watching the Weather Channel, and so it's always on in their kitchen in the mornings, right. in their living rooms at night, and the kids are absolutely mesmerized. It's the colors, it's the animations, the maps. Um, we, we just did a contest called the Mini Meteorologist Contest with uh, a corporate partner of ours, Land's End, and these kids who won the contest got to come to our headquarters in Atlanta oh, and boy. be meteorologists for a day, oh, boy. and it was like watching them come in the building to meet the Beatles or something. It was, they were just enamored and it was so, uh, it was so joyful uh, to watch them get to meet their, their heroes in weather. Uh, I, I bet. I, so they're yeah. our future. We have hope that we'll still be around for a long time because Great. of those kids. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll be around for a long time too. Angela, thanks so much for talking. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Today, we've been talking with Angela Massey, Vice President for Live Storytelling, about her work with the Weather Channel and the Weather Group. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or NPR One. Spectrum also is available at the NPR podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please take some time and rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. 